Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. Welcome back to our summer series. Are you ready? Are you excited to continue on to chapter three of Lies of the Magpie? I am recording this episode in advance because I just happen to be going to a place called South Africa. And I just say this because hopefully by the time you are listening to this episode, I will be back home. I will have slept one night in my own bed and I will probably be suffering a severe case of jet lag, but it won't matter because I will have my son back home under my own roof at least for a few weeks before he goes off to college which is such the cruel irony of mothering, isn't it? That if we do our job right, we essentially work ourselves out of a job and our children grow up and leave us. And it's good. That's a good thing. But I am going to bask in having him home in the same room as me where I can just stare at him across the dinner table and keep him right under my little wings. And he will probably be so done with my schmooze of mothering energy that he will probably be so ecstatic to get out of the house and move away again. But that's okay because for several weeks, I am just going to pour mothering love over him like gravy. But enough with all that. Let's get on with it. Let's move on to Lies of the Magpie. Lies of the Magpie, Chapter 3 The next morning, my alarm rang at 5.30 a.m. When I hit snooze, Lia stood over me like a drill sergeant. Come on, sleeping beauty, you can't miss your practicing session. I combed my hair into a greasy ponytail, put on a baseball cap, packed a yogurt and a banana into my backpack, and ran to the music building to make my 6.30 a.m. reservation for the practice room. At 7.30 a.m., I was eating my yogurt in the anatomy lab when someone came up behind me and stole my hat. It was Paul, the lab assistant. He strode to the front of the room wearing a white lab coat and carrying a ring of keys. He unlocked a door and wheeled out the cadaver table. How can you eat in here? said Paul, steering the lab table into place. Doesn't the smell of the formaldehyde make you sick? It didn't stink in here until you came in, I said casually, peeling the banana. This is the only time I have to eat breakfast and please give me my hat back. Paul took the cap from inside his lab coat and looked at the insignia on the front. This is my varsity hat. How did you get it? Paul, the lab assistant, was also my brother. Can I use it just for today? I begged. I didn't have time to wash my hair. I don't want your grimy hair inside my varsity hat. Other students from my lab group were coming in. Are you two at it again? Paul and I were seen together so often and argued so much that a lot of people thought we were married. We didn't look like siblings. He was six foot three inches with blonde hair and blue eyes and a muscular build. He had played football for ACC before becoming a pre-med major. I was five feet seven inches with brown hair, dark eyes, and unremarkable athletic prowess. Whenever people would ask how long we'd been married, Paul would answer, we aren't married, but we did live together for 17 years. Other times he would say, We aren't married, but our parents are. Okay, peeps, Paul called to the group. Today we are dissecting the kidneys. Thanks for nothing. I jabbed him in the ribs on my way to get a scalpel. After lab, I helped Paul push the table back into the cold storage closet. Where were you last night, 
he asked. I made potato salad for dinner and I came over three different times to bring you some. I was at the student union building studying, I said. Alone? Yes, no, well, I was alone and then some of the student council came over and I talked with them for a while. Were you with a boy? No, I whacked him on the arm, took the ball cap off his head and put it back on my own. You know I don't have time to date. Laya was the first to see the flyer advertising the Miss Aspen Community College pageant. You should enter. She ripped the flyer from its tack and handed it to me. The winner gets a cash scholarship and a new computer. How would I compare in a lineup of accomplished young women? Growing up in a society where girls were not my comrades but my competition, what would it mean to me if the judges scored me as the very best one? No friendships were at stake. My circle of girlfriends remained always the distance of my measuring stick. I filled out the pageant application, submitted a photo, and borrowed a dress. The night of the pageant, I was pacing backstage waiting for my turn in the talent competition when I heard a voice call to me. Hey, stranger! Aaron walked towards me dressed in a sleek black tuxedo, a ginormous grin covering his face. Well, you clean up pretty well. I said, taking in his aura. His hair was slicked with gel. He straightened his bow tie and winked at me, looking like a GQ model. I was already nervous, wringing my hands and pulling at my numb fingers. His presence filled me with electricity and I wobbled unevenly in my high-heeled shoes. The air in the dark backstage was frigid, but suddenly I felt an odd mix of hot and cold, as if my entire body had been placed in a furnace except my arms, which were in a freezer. I rubbed my shoulders, my wrists, my palms together and blew into them as if I were standing outside in a snowstorm. What are you doing here? I asked Aaron, trying to sound completely calm and in control. Madame, pageant director, asked the senators to be your escorts this evening. He spoke with an exaggerated, sophisticated accent. I just wanted to tell you, good luck. You'll do great out there. He rocked back and forth in his black dress shoes, and I wondered if he was thinking about giving me a hug or a high five. Instead, he performed a classic errand pivot and chugged his arms, getting his train ready to depart. Before leaving, he flashed me his huge smile. Our eyes locked briefly, and in those seconds, all the electric waves surging through me collected as if pulled by a magnet and traveled on one current that connected Aaron's gaze to me. Break a leg, he joked, and walked back behind the curtain. A jolt knocked me backwards as the electric connection broke. I stood trying to catch my breath and find my composure before my name was announced for my performance in the talent competition. After my piano solo, I bowed graciously to the judges, smiled at the crowd, walked off stage, and went directly into the dressing room to change into an evening gown and pin up my hair. The temperature felt like 100 degrees backstage. The disposable armpit guards I had used to prevent sweat marks in my dress were completely soaked through. I tossed them into the garbage can and put new stain guards in my evening gown. Dodging clouds of hairspray, I twisted my hair and secured it off my neck with bobby pins. There were still five girls left to perform their talents, and I couldn't stay in that stuffy dressing room. My red sequin dress was cutting off my circulation, and I was choking on hairspray and glitter. I pushed open a backstage exit door and stepped into the cool air of a beautiful October evening. I should have stopped to think before I let the door close behind me. I climbed up onto a ledge where I could look out over the center of campus. In the shadows, the pine tree circled the quad like a fairy ring. A hoot owl chastised me for waking him up early. 
The cool breeze lapped like ocean waves against the bare skin of my back. I loved this place, this campus. I loved the library, the buildings constructed for the sole purpose of education. I loved that I could choose any subject and sign up for a class to learn about it. I loved how my student card got me into the activity center, the library, the plays, the concerts, all for free. I could go for a swim, play racquetball, lift weights, check out a movie on VHS. I should do more of those things, I thought, looking over this campus brimming with opportunity. I did very little recreating, but the point was that I could, any time. This campus was freedom. I thought about walking away from the pageant, leaving just like that. I could go to the library and pick any book I wanted off the shelf and sit in a chair and read instead of spending this beautiful evening posing on stage with my right foot placed perfectly in the arch of my left foot. My knee popped to the exact angle to give my figure the ideal hourglass shape. My tummy sucked in tight and flat so that behind my stage smile I appeared to be relaxed and breathing while the judges decided which numbers to place in the boxes next to my name. I hadn't done any non-required reading since last Christmas break. How would it feel to choose a novel and lose myself in the story? Inside that auditorium, I was caged by the opinions of a judge's panel. Here, outside in the open air, I was as free as the night sky. Laia walked by just then, taking a break from watching the talents. Cecily is doing her song and tap dance routine, and I can't stand to hear that song one more time. Laia complained, leaning one hip delicately against the railing. Nobody's talent has even come close to your piano solo. You are going to win this thing hands down, but you'd better get back inside. She gave me a thumbs up and walked back towards the audience entrance. That's right. I could win. There was always the possibility. I could waste an evening in the library reading non-required literature, but what would I have to show for it the next day? Nothing. No banner. No tiara. No cash scholarship to add to my stack of scholarships. No recognition. At the library, there was nothing. Inside that auditorium, on that stage, there was everything. I carefully sat on the ledge and let my shoes drop before jumping down. I pulled the stage door, but it didn't budge. I retried, shaking vigorously. Locked. How could I be so stupid? How long had I been outside? I'd completely lost track of time. Maybe the evening where competition was already started without me. Inside was my chance at a crown, a title. Introducing your new Miss Aspen Community College, Malia Day. And I wanted it. But now this door stood solid, blocking me from entry. I pounded my knuckles against the still and shook the handle with urgency, shouting for anyone to open the door. The only other way to get in was through the audience entrance, and I couldn't imagine walking up the aisle and passing the judge's table with a weak smile to get back up on stage. A window over the ledge was open a crack. Perhaps I could get someone's attention by calling through the window. I hoisted my dress and climbed back up onto the ledge, pulling myself up to the window. Hey, is anybody in there? I called out. I'm supposed to be in the pageant, but the stage door is locked. I heard the sound of the door open and released my grip from the window, balancing myself against the brick wall of the ledge, and saw a head of slick brown hair poke out the door and looked around. It was Aaron. What are you up to? I called down, trying to sound casual. Aren't you supposed to be doing your escorting duties? Aaron looked right and left, finally realizing the sound of the voice was coming from above him. 
Yes, I am, and they've sent me to escort a certain escapee back to the pageant. He propped the door open with a chair and came over to where I was balancing on the ledge. What are you doing up there? People are looking for you. What time is it? I asked in alarm. Have they started the next round? My voice was urgent with the panic of missed opportunity. They're just lining up for evening gown. Aaron answered, then looked puzzled at the situation. How did you get up there? He asked, looking up at me. It's called climbing, and it's not generally recommended when wearing shoes like this. I lifted my dress an inch to reveal a pair of spiky thrift store heels that I'd spray-painted and covered with red glitter. I stepped carefully along the edge, bracing myself to jump. Whoa, you're going to break at least one ankle if you do that, Aaron said. Maybe I could use a little help, I asked, feeling embarrassed and wondering how to explain my predicament. Hold onto my hand. Aaron reached up and supported me while I got into a seated position on the ledge. Now jump, I'll catch you. I pushed off with my hands and jumped into his arms, never pausing to question whether or not he would catch me. The touch of his hands was warm against the cool skin of my back. He settled me onto the ground, but didn't release his hold around my waist. A tingle surged through me, but this time I noticed that Aaron reacted too. Usually suave and in control, his breath stopped, and when he started to talk he gasped a bit, and his voice stuck in his throat. You look absolutely beautiful tonight, he said. He wasn't smiling. He was looking at my face as if he had never before noticed that my eyes are brown. Dark brown. Thank you, I answered, caught by the same wire of current from his eyes to mine. You look pretty dapper yourself. Your music was amazing, he said. I didn't know that you play piano. The weight of his hands on my hips was a sensation I'd never before experienced. His hold gave me weight that at once grounded me and gave me flight. Well, you'll have to give credit to my mother for making sure I practiced. In his hold, I wanted to remain perfectly still, but stillness was a posture completely foreign to me. And in my head, I could hear Laya's voice telling me, you'd better stop wasting time out here and get going, or the judges will put zeros on your score sheet. Aaron dropped his arms. I'd better get you inside. They'll be wondering where we are. Aaron opened the door, slid the chair out of the way, and took my hand, guiding me inside. Thank you for rescuing me. I lifted up my dress and walked ahead of him through the door. I didn't know how I was going to get back inside. Were you trying to run away? Aaron asked. Maybe I was thinking about it. It's good you didn't, Aaron helped me up the stairs. All your adoring fans would be disappointed. He walked me to my place in the lineup before walking behind the curtain to wait across the stage with the other escorts. When I stepped into the spotlight, I saw Aaron waiting at the center of the walkway for me. He must have traded places with another senator to be my escort. I walked out and offered him my hand, which he took confidently, then performed his classic pivot towards the audience and helped me down the faux marble staircase. Holding his hand felt brand new and anciently familiar. At the front of the stage, he gave my hand an encouraging squeeze before letting me go to turn circles so the judges could assess me from every angle. At the end of the evening, after the points had been tallied, my name was announced as first attendant. I stepped forward, bending down to receive my banner and tiara. Aaron sat on the front row of the audience. He was standing, applauding, and whistling. He watched me with a look that said I was the most amazing girl he had ever met. And behind him, Laya was jotting notes, her thoughts on why I had come in second place.
Aaron brought a different girl to every school activity and dance for the rest of the year, but he never asked me out. I didn't get asked to the homecoming dance, but as part of the reigning homecoming royalty, I had to show up with my banner and tiara and wave to the crowd of happy couples. The last week of school before Christmas break, I was cramming for finals when I saw Aaron walking around with a video recorder on his shoulder. He was making a movie, interviewing all the people he knew on campus, which was pretty much everybody. Does that boy ever study? Laya asked. The first day back from winter break, I was in the cave eating a tuna sandwich when Aaron walked in like he had just won a jousting tournament. I am done with girls, he announced, flinging his arms wide as if he had been liberated. It's my New Year's resolution. I am not kissing any girls for the rest of the school year. What do you have against girls? I asked. Nothing. I like girls, but they are distracting. This semester, I am going to focus. I bet you won't make it one week, I challenged. I'll make it longer than you, Aaron said. No way. Aaron pointed to my sandwich. Every day you eat a sack lunch. Tell you what, if I kiss someone before you do, I will buy you a steak dinner. Deal. I felt pretty confident about winning. We have to write it down and sign it. I grabbed a scrap of paper and wrote out the bet. It's not valid until you sign. Aaron took the pencil out of my hand and scribbled his signature, ending with a dramatic underline. Now we shake on it. He shook my hand so vigorously that my tuna sandwich broke apart and fell to the floor. I bent down, picked it up, and took a bite. Aaron raised his eyebrows. What, I said. Never waste a perfectly good tuna sandwich. Later, when I replayed the incident for Laya, she said, You should not encourage that boy. He is too Don Juan for you, and he doesn't take school seriously. Corey had already started council meeting when Aaron walked in. I didn't look his way, but he walked past me and set a folded piece of paper on my desk. I snatched the note and hid it in my lap. Corey was talking about the allocation of student fees. From across the room, Aaron kept trying to get my attention, raising his eyebrows and eyeing me to read the note. Finally, I looked down, unfolded the paper, and read, in Aaron's handwriting, I lost the bet. You did good. Dinner Friday? Aaron. Back at my apartment, I dropped the note on the bathroom sink while I washed my hands. Lyra read it out of the corner of her eyes while spreading mascara on her lashes. I'll bet that he has the same bet going with 20 different girls, she said. I released my hair from the confines of its ponytail. Don't worry, I am not going to dinner with Aaron. I have debate trips for the next three weekends in a row anyway. In mid-March, Aaron stood in the door of the cave, his arms folded across his chest. You still owe me a dinner. He leaned against the doorframe like I'd better pay up or he wouldn't let me out. I believe the correct phraseology is that you owe me a dinner. I felt a sneeze coming on and grabbed a tissue from my desk. Wow, you don't sound good. Aaron moved towards me. Are you sick? My ears plugged up on the flight to Texas and they haven't popped since. The whole weekend I could only hear my own voice like a microphone in my head. It's driving me crazy. Aaron put a hand on my forehead. You have a fever. Have you seen a doctor? I don't feel that sick. I just wish my ears would pop so I could hear normally. You should probably go home and get some rest. I can't. I have faculty academic council meeting at 2 o'clock. President Rawlings wants my report on the possibility of expanding our music program to a four-year degree. Then I tutor microbiology. Tonight is the dean's list dinner, and I have to pick up helium for the balloons. Aaron knelt in front of my desk and looked at my droopy eyes. 
You keep going like this and you'll end up taking your impressive resume to an early grave. He put my books away and threw my backpack over his shoulder. Come on, he coaxed. A couple of hours of sleep will do you good. I will tell President Rawlings that you are sick. Tina and Beth's gang will be watching days of our life at my apartment. I won't get any sleep there. Aaron tugged my arm. Come on, I have someplace better. Aaron's room was surprisingly clean and cozy. I guess I had expected posters of red sports cars and supermodels. Instead, his walls and shelves were covered with family photos. Lie down, Aaron ordered, pulling back his comforter. His bed was made. He took off my boots, slid my feet under the covers, then tucked the blanket under my chin. You are grounded here for two hours, young lady. I can't miss Dean's List dinner, Aaron. I'm in charge. Don't worry, I will wake you up. Now, sleep. I fell asleep looking at his pictures. Aaron with a white-haired woman, probably his grandma. Aaron hugging his mom and dad. Aaron wrestling with three younger brothers. Aaron petting a brown Labrador. When I woke up hours later, I yawned, and my ear popped so hard I thought I had burst my eardrum. Oh my goodness, I can hear. I wiggled my jaw back and forth and it popped three more times. I felt so much better, but outside the window, the sky was getting darker. What time was it? In front of the clock, I noticed a colorful display that hadn't been there when I went to sleep. There was a can of chicken noodle soup, a bottle of orange juice, a single rose, and a note written in Aaron's handwriting. Get better, pretty lady. I dropped back onto the pillow with a satisfied smile. I was not accustomed to receiving this kind of attention. When Aaron came to get me, he brought my student council shirt to change into, and he already had the helium tank in the trunk of his car. You look good. How are you feeling? He put his hand on my forehead. Thank you for the juice, the flower, the nap. I I feel so much better. He wrapped me in a teddy bear hug. You deserve it, pretty lady. After dinner, Lia said, You went to his apartment? He is such a womanizer. Do you think you are the first girl he has wooed with chicken soup and a you-need-to-rest routine? Oh, you're probably right. I can't believe I fell for that. I didn't see Aaron again for several weeks, not until after spring break and after debate nationals in Orlando. He cornered me coming out of the office in mid-April. Congratulations, national champion. You look really good with a tan. I acted coy. I can now say that I have stuck my toes in the Atlantic Ocean. I zipped up my snow coat and pulled the hood over my head. Outside, we were getting pounded with a spring blizzard. Dinner this Friday? You still owe me, he grinned widely. No, sir, you lost the bet. You owe me. I poked his chest for emphasis. I will buy dinner. You owe me your presents. I couldn't get out of it, I told Lyle later that night. Besides, he's taking me to a restaurant. It's free dinner. After a week in Orlando eating catered meals, I was discovering the existence of a whole new world outside of tuna fish sandwiches. Go to dinner. That's fine. But don't let him go all Fabio on you. And don't do anything to encourage him. When Aaron picked me up, I was wearing a plain brown shapeless cardigan sweater and my Coke bottle eyeglasses. I didn't know you had glasses. Aaron said after the waiter seated us. I usually wear contact lenses. So do I. Aaron took the pitcher of ice water the waiter had put on the table and filled my glass with water. I know, you wear colored lenses. I reached for my water glass. No, they're not tinted. They're just regular, clear disposable lenses. Oh, 
I gulped ungracefully as an ice cube went down my throat. Your eyes are so green. Aaron smiled and handed me a menu. Order anything you want. I scanned the menu. They serve liver and onions here, I squealed. You like that? Absolutely. My grandma used to make it for me. It's one of my favorites. I'll have the liver and onions, please, I told the waiter. I figured there would be no risk of a doorstep kiss with the smell of liver and onions on my breath. I was wrong. Aaron Warner, I thought you weren't going to kiss any girls. Malia Day, you are not any girl. He kissed me again. In Aaron, I found an equally driven, though far more spontaneous and fun-loving young man whose untamed entrepreneurial spirit had me convinced that we would, in no time, be the youngest couple to grace the cover of Fortune magazine. When news of our engagement spread around campus, one professor said, Together, those two could conquer a small country. I thought, why stop with one country? This is Malia Warner. Thank you for listening. And as always, please remember to leave me a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening with, whether it be iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any of the others I can't think of right now. Your review will help this podcast to be found by people who are searching, especially people who are searching for postpartum depression, healing, chronic illness. So thank you for taking the time to help out another human being, especially if that human being is a mother who happens to be in crisis. And I will meet you back here next week with chapter four of Lies of the Magpie or whatever chapter I feel inspired to continue with after 30 hours of mulling it over on my flight home from South Africa. In any case, I'll meet you right back here next week. Have a good one. Until next time.